What's up, guys, and welcome to another episode of the Off the Line Podcasts, brought to you by Your Football Journal. It's Caleb John here, and this is the 15th of December, 2020. Joining me today, resident uh, podcaster, I would say, George Carlos. And we're going to be rounding off a bunch of games. Uh, the Manchester Derby to start with, Absolute News Fest. We break that down. We look into the Liverpool-Fulham game. Fulham coming out with a very commendable draw. We and finish off with a roundup of Everton versus Chelsea, where Everton with a really impressive win, hardworking performances. Then we just get into some nitty-gritty of the rest of the football world. So sit back, enjoy, like, comment, subscribe. Roddy Yeager, the Jagger wants it back. He gets it back and leaves it through for Holby. Oh, it's off the line. It's off the line. So, George, we're going to start by talking about the Manchester derby. Absolute snooze fest. Uh, both teams didn't look interested. There wasn't anything of note in the game. I think City had created better chances. But uh, after that, like the game just sizzled out and... Yeah, it was a very disappointing Manchester Derby. Um, yeah, what do you think about the game? So, you know, um, it. I, I think a lot of this has to do with how United have performed this season and the results that they're getting. Because if you think about it, bar the whole Tottenham game, but the last time a big team that came to United, it was also a snooze. It was also a snooze win. That was Chelsea. And it was almost the same kind of thing, right? Where we said after that game that it was two managers playing cautious and just knowing the qualities that the other two teams had, the the opponents had, and playing against that. It wasn't like playing against the other person's weakness, but playing against the other person's strength. Does that make sense? So the City played so that they weren't hit on the counter, okay? And United played lackluster, but they played in a defensive shape that would prevent City from creating chances. And both of them succeeded. That's why it was a draw, right? And I think all of this is just a credit to, I guess, United's performances. I can imagine Liverpool coming to Old Trafford and doing the exact same thing. Liverpool have not got a point from Old Trafford for, uh, sorry, have not got a win in Old Trafford in a very long time. And I don't expect them to get one this season as well. And just because they are, they are scared, I think all teams are scared about what United can do on the counter. And it, it, it's it's just down to that and that's and so when in the second half when he made when pep made the change on that right hand side to bring on torres for mares which is a like for like substitution you can you can you it was at that moment that we all realized that he has no plans to change his system change his formation he's come here for a draw he's going to get that draw and he's going to go back home City registered like City had like 1.6 XG to United like 0.6 or something. I mean, it's it it's just proof that there was no creativity, and that was kind of what I I can imagine if you ask Pep, uh, before the game like, hey, nil nil draw, you guys not creating that many chances, is that what you expect? Probably he might not like tell you, but I think deep down that's that's probably what he wanted. Yeah, and uh, to take it on to United side as well, um, it just goes back to 
I, I guess both of these teams have this problem that they had in this uh, in this game, especially was the double pivot and having Fred and McDominay and like you know Rodri and Fernandinho, it it you know takes that creative outlet from the team and it's just so defensive, uninspiring, and that was ultimately why this game was shut down basically. And that's not what you want to see. There was no, like, I feel like all the pundits after the game were talking about it. Like, you're going out on that pitch to try to win the game. That you need to remember that. And it was disappointing to say the least, I would say. I would rather have got a winner and loser than a draw from a game like this. And it's, it was actually important for both those teams to get a win that would take them into the top four. Uh, well, for United, I would say still a good performance in the, in the sense that I feel we were on the ropes after that humiliating performance in midweek. So looking back on that, I would say it's a good point for us. Yeah, and then you also saw, I, this is the first time I think you're playing this kind of a formation, or at least you're starting with this kind of a formation with Pogba kind of like this free-roaming left-sided midfielder with two double pivots. I mean, it's you could. I mean, yeah, on paper it's a four-two-three-one. I that's. I don't think that's exactly how you played. It was almost yeah. like a diamond because Greenwood will be right up there at the top, and you kind of have Fernandez in this number ten role, and you have Pogba on the left-hand side. So it's sort of like the skewed diamond. Um, it it was. I mean, it's again just Solskjaer again experimenting with his formations. It's been, what, three months since the Premier League started. You have teams experimenting with formations maybe in the first first month of the season like Lampard. But find something that's stable which Solskjaer still hasn't found. And he knows that there is talent in Pogba. He knows that there's potential but he just can't seem to unlock it. And I, I think that's, that, that's pretty sad. Um... But yeah, I don't know what you thought about that. Yeah, so I feel like the decision to play Pogba in the first place is something that also has to be scrutinized because of, uh, you know, the comments that have come out from his agent. I know Pogba has um, spoken about it after that, saying that he is 1,000% committed to the club. But if he is 1,000% committed to the club, you're not going to let someone that works for you to come out and say those things that he said and slate the manager. It didn't look good that, uh, you know, his agent did question Solskjaer's capabilities as a manager. Well, he has his he has his rights to his opinion. But when you're directly involved with a player at the club, uh, Solskjaer should have shown more backbone and said, dude, if you're not going to if you're going to disrespect me and disrespect the club, you shouldn't play. However, uh, I think Pogba was decent in the game. He didn't do anything uh, to remember, but I don't think any of the players on either teams did. Even De Bruyne had a very quiet game. He just set up the one chance for Mahrez, which he probably should have taken. But uh, United defended well. And we should give credit where credit is due in that sense. Uh, Lindelof and Maguire actually looked pretty solid this game, even with all the problems that they have and the lack of pace. But it was just side-to-side 
passing the entire game from United and their back four. They didn't want to drive forward. They didn't want to play the ball into those creative players like Pogba and Fernandez. And ultimately, I think we got the point that we deserve. City will probably feel a little bit more, um, you know, hard done by to not go out for the win. They probably should have. And I think we had we were talking about this earlier that it was down to the double pivot of City. Like you're not a huge fan of, are you? Yeah, no. I I just feel there's it, it's a change up from last season and the season before that. I don't know. I I think it's like Vishnu always says it's just Pep overthinking and trying to change things up. And I think it's just detrimental to the team. It's just it's not clicking. It's not working. They just cannot create the chances that they used to create. Uh, before, and I think they registered two shots on target, which is exactly the same number as United. It was a pretty even game, to be honest. I this is a kind of a fixture that City would have. You would imagine City would at least have more of the ball, considerable amount more of the ball. They didn't. It's just a fifty-four percent of the possession, which is pretty even. It's it's comparable. I mean, I I you can't really say that United that. City dominated this game. I think it was just relative dominance, not like an absolute dominance. Absolute, yeah. Right. And another thing that I wanted to say was the zonal marking that City was doing. I mean, we touched upon this last podcast. Zonal ain't it, Chief. It's it's not it, especially for these big teams. You got players like Maguire in the box. It's it's just not working. And I think out of the four corners that United had, they probably they got to the ball for three of them. If I remember right, yeah. I don't know the actual stats, but I mean that—that's just a proof of how this is not working. And I'm so surprised that, like, it, that after all of this, teams are still going back to zone, especially big teams like Manchester City. Yeah, definitely. And at the same time, when United go forward in those corners, uh, especially against a team like City, you're not probably going to break them down too often, and you know, pass through their lanes unless you can get them stretched. And this game wasn't going to be stretched by any uh, by any chance of anything. So uh, when we got those chances in the box, we should probably take it. I think United's conversion from uh, set pieces is like shockingly low, especially when you think about the fact that we have good uh, people that can deliver the ball, like Fernandez and to be fair, Shaw put in, I think, three of those corners that we did uh, you know, attack and get to it first. So, and with those big lads up there, you need to be converting more. That's something that they should look at. And just to touch upon City's problems at the moment, don't you think, like, they don't, they're not having great individual performances anymore. Like, you could say that uh, Sterling, Sterling used to put up amazing numbers, world-class numbers uh, to previous seasons. He doesn't look like he's at the races this season, does he? Yeah, he. When I see him, I, I feel like he looks like Lewis Hamilton, but he doesn't perform the way Lewis Hamilton performs in his sport. I mean, it's just and that's just me. I I just see, I just see that resemblance, but it's just that stark contrast in their their like their sport. Yeah, he yes by stats he has amazing stats from the start of whatever 2016 season. He has the most number of goals, goal contributions in the league and by a long shot but he it's just 
I don't know, man. It's the the performances that he's put in from the back end of last season. It, it feels like he's he's on this path that he can't get out of. He doesn't influence games. I feel I feel like he, if he's in the situation created by a uh, a De Bruyne or a David Silva, or maybe even a Gundogan, when he's in those when he's in those chances when created by those players, then yeah he he'll finish it off. But him individually influencing a game, carrying his team, which you sh- could expect from someone like him with the amount of talent that he has, he just doesn't rise up to that challenge. That's why I just. I feel like he is letting himself down with these performances and he's on the decline and I, I don't see him coming back out of this personally. And it could be a factor that um, Sane has left the club as well. Yeah. Because yeah. that rivalry was definitely would have been, you know, trying to one-up each other and we, we can see, you know, how Sane is performing at Bayern Munich. He's still putting up those crazy numbers, scoring goals and being involved in the game. And he would have been, I'm sure, still in the Premier League, Sane would have been tearing it up if he had the chance. Maybe they're missing him. They look like they're missing Silva way more than they actually should have been. They, I don't think they expected uh, expected that Silva had such an influence on that on the team itself. Not just on, like, for the level players on the pitch. Like, they miss Silva a lot more than Aguero, I would say. Yeah, I mean, like, if you take if you think about it, even Jesus Jesus doesn't rise up to that challenge of filling yeah. in the Aguero shoes. So they have problems in up top. Uh, I think Maras is a quality player on his. I mean, he probably, like you said, should have finished his chance in this game. But the things that he has in his locker and the stuff that he can do, I I really rate him. But other than that, I don't. The, his their front line and their left side is pretty dismal. They're also, cre- other than De Bruyne, they they don't have many creative outlets in their midfield. So it's it it doesn't look too great, honestly, for City. And this used to be a team whose bench could beat every single player, every single team in the league. And I don't know. I I guess like. Things don't last forever, I guess. Everything has to... Comes in waves. And sometimes. Yeah. It's not really... Like, uh, it doesn't bring in that fear factor like City's bench of uh, seasons ago that used to. Like, pretty uninspiring. Especially when you have players like Benjamin Mendy on your bench. (laughs) Yeah. Thanks. I'm so thankful that Cancelo has now replaced him as number one first choice left back for big games. Yeah, but the problem with Cancelo is... What's up with Ake? Does he not play anymore? Are they, are they done? <laughs> they rinse that 50 I think uh, That was just the money launder or something. Like, I think he's been... Uh, he's <laughs> been he injured or something. Is he injured? <laughs> probably. He wasn't in the match day squad, so... Yeah, probably injured, so... Yeah, I mean... No, the thing about Cancelo, though, um, he is a right-sided player playing on the left. And I don't think, especially for uh, fullbacks, I don't think like an inverted fullback is a good idea. Because you saw many a time when Cancelo had the opportunity to put in the cross on his left, but he can't because he doesn't have that confidence in his left foot. And yeah, that's not his fault that he's playing on the left. 
So uh, even though that he is a big improvement on Mendy, uh, that you know that flow of the game gets disrupted a lot when Cancelo has to get to the byline. But what we see with Cancelo is he tries to drift inward and play the passes in that way. But that's not going like when teams like United how they did they you know they try to crowd out that space and didn't have that much success. So I'm not sure if Cancelo is the be all and end all at left back. They probably you know how City are they're going to probably spend another fifty million trying to pull in another defender. Yeah, and it's not going to be like a world class defender. It's going to be like a bang average defender that they're going to get. Yeah, and they're just going to get like Mac. Who, who, who's like a good left back at this time? <laughs> I don't even know. Yeah. I, I don't know. <laughs> okay. So, anyway, that was the snooze first. That was the Manchester Derby. Let's move on to the Liverpool game. Liverpool travelled to Craven Cottage and they came away with just a draw. Fulham take the lead uh, in the first half in the 25th minute. Absolute banger of a goal. Alisson couldn't have done anything. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, Fulham looked like they were up for that game from minute one. And yeah, what were your thoughts on that? Yeah, it was, we were just blown away. I think away days have now become significantly more difficult. And before we talk about the Liverpool game, I just want to make a point about how that disparity of having fans in the stadium and the effect that it has. And to not to have certain stadiums have fans and certain stadiums don't have fans, I feel that's a significant disadvantage because right now it's so difficult. Maybe not for United, but for all other clubs, it's so difficult to win away from home. And Liverpool have had a dismal form away from home and it was just heightened again where we couldn't muster that confidence and that playing ability. I mean, it, it's, I, I don't understand, right? Because you play against Leicester you blow them away 3-0, then you draw against Brighton. Then you go, then you come back at home and you play against Wolves, you blow them away 4-0, and then you come to Fulham and you draw 1-1. I mean, it's just, I don't understand what it is about them, but when, when they're playing at home, it's like they have these supercharged abilities and they're all playing magnificent football. But then when they just go away from home, they just cannot do the basic things. I mean, it's, I don't think it's a, I mean, you can leave on the ball ability, but it's the off the ball intensity, which is just lacking. And I feel there, there's a study also, which says that apart from Chelsea, all teams have been pressing less. And I think this is due to the fact about how much fixture congestion there is and how managers like, Pep and Klopp don't want their teams pressing for like 60, 70 odd minutes just because of fear of, you know, tired injuries. Right, and injuries. And that's why they've slacked off a bit. But I feel when they slack off, they're not compensating in the midfield because we lost that midfield battle for that first 30 minutes. We could not string two passes together within that midfield without getting closed down by just sheer intensity. Like, I don't feel it was Fulham's impeccable game. I mean, they 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 did some insane switch of plays, stuff that Liverpool used to do back in the day. I mean, I can't say back in the day because it was just last season. But, 
I mean, the way that they switched from fullback to fullback was really impressive. But what impressed me more than that was just their intensity. Players like Loftus-Cheek and the way that he can get the ball back. Players like Robinson on the left on the left hand side, who it, it's just that sheer willingness to get the ball driving at players. And yeah, like you said, you can't take anything away from that Bobby Reed strike. I think it was Allison had absolutely no chance. Uh, no chance. Getting to that ball. Like I don't think any keeper in the world is say it's saving that. I mean, the dipping curve on that was just impeccable. So I mean, it was one of those shots like when you play, you know, when you hit it, you know that it's going in. Oh, yeah. You can almost just start your celebration. Like you can start running away to one of the corner flags and uh, start celebrating. It was a really nice strike. And like you had mentioned the intensity. They had that intensity like from minute one. They looked like they uh, didn't care that, you know, it was Liverpool that's coming uh, to play. It was... It's really nice to see a team like Fulham take the game by the scruff of the neck. And more teams should try to impose their identity on the football pitch against teams like Liverpool, against teams like City. That's how you get the better of them. Because if you let Liverpool control the ball and get comfortable, you're not going to have a good time. You have to make them work for everything. And that's how you get a result of these guys. So, again, yeah. like yeah, that, that's hats off to Scott Parker setting up that team. It yeah. was a brilliant game to watch. Yeah, I mean, the way that they set up again in the second half, they were very compact defensively. And they they wanted to win. They they thought that, yeah, we're going to get these three points and we're going to defend for our lives and we're going we're gonna to make the champions pay. And like in retrospect, yeah, I mean, if Liverpool lost that game, I don't think anyone would have said, nah, they deserved a draw because they didn't. I mean, that penalty was, yeah, it was pretty harsh to give, to be honest. Um, I mean, he, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know anymore, so I, I don't want to comment. But, yeah, I guess it is what it is at the end of the day. Um, but I'm more annoyed um, about the, the substitutions, actually. I was annoyed that he took off Trent. I was annoyed that he brought on. As in, this all goes back to that game against Midgetland. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but uh, in midweek, because Jota got injured, Salah played a full 90 minutes that game. Even Trent played that game. So, I mean, I understand that his Jota's our backup player. He has to play that game, and that's probably why he got injured. And those, those things you can't really prevent. But Trent, right? Why he took off Trent because he wants to save him up for the Spurs game, and he brings on Nico. Now, when he's brought when he's brought on Nico for the remainder of the game, our attack is only on the right hand side. Robertson didn't even get the ball after that, and Nico can't cross a ball for his life, but he still attempts the cross. I mean, it's I I don't understand. Like it's clear that. I'm not gonna. I'm gonna. I'm not gonna say that it's Nico. I'm gonna blame Klopp. I'm sure Klopp has told Nico, bombard that right hand side, put put balls into the box, be like Trent. And I'm sure Nico wants to be like Trent, to be someone who has that kind of an identity in the club. That's probably what Nico's going for. I mean, he's trying this, and it's not working. Robinson's just closing him down. He can't get a single ball into the box. So, 
why do this as in why play Trent for full 90 minutes against midweek in Denmark just to bring him off at like at 60 70 minutes against Fulham in a game that you are chasing the, 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 this is what I, the, I I don't understand this like if 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 the league is more clearly that the league, the league fixture against Fulham is more important than a dead fixture in Denmark and do bring off Trent at whatever time, half-time, and you have five subs there. Bring off Trent at half-time in the Champions League so that he can play full 90 minutes. Because we really needed Trent, especially after we were 1-1. Uh, we were 1-1, and especially after the play was always coming down the right-hand side. We needed that kind of ability, and we didn't have it. So I'm really... This whole season, I've been really frustrated with Klopp and his substitutions and his in-game management. And... Yeah, this was just another... So, I remember in the Brighton fixture, he took off Salah, a decision that I didn't agree with. Salah was really annoyed. And, yeah, it's just so weird. I feel like he's losing... He's slowly losing his marbles. And uh, I don't know. I, I have no yeah. logical explanation for this. Like, he's blamed... You know what he said in after midweek? He said, I don't like VAR because it's cold in, in Denmark. And... When they when you're waiting for VAR, you have to stand in the court. I mean, like, come on, man. Like, how can you say this when this has got nothing to do? I mean, like, yeah, you're standing in the cold, but like you're professional footballers having to play in England. Okay, they're not they're not coming from countries like Qatar or like uh Brazil or wherever. You're playing in England, England's always cold, right? And to make that as a complaint, it was, and it's not and it's just cold and wet as well in England. I mean, like the stuff that he says and the way he shifts blame, Klopp, the way he blames the grass, the way he blames the wind. And it's never like me, I, I made a mistake or the players made a mistake. I mean, that that's Jose, that, this is prime Jose, where Jose yeah. will tell you that these players did not perform well or I made a mistake. Right. So yeah. I need, I want to see that ownership from the manager. I want to see that, hey, it, this is my fault. I, I, I did this. Because it's fine, man. Players, people make mistakes. This is something that the, the that PGMLO or whatever, they also can't do when they're supporting referees for the VAR game or after VAR uh, decisions. I mean, just say, just come on and say that you made a mistake, man. Like, how, how difficult is it? Sorry, I went on. I went on. Yeah. No, so like when you're talking about that, you would just be like Klopp or the PGML are just trying to save face, right? Like they don't want to look like a clown. I don't think Klopp, I think Klopp's ego, um, he might showcase it that he doesn't have that much of an ego, but he definitely does. Oh, 100%. He doesn't want to look like he is a man that makes mistakes and he really does. But yeah, I, I get where you're coming from, but I'm not sure if that's going to instill confidence in the rest of the team and maybe the fans, because like, you know, we've talked about this many a time that uh, people just seem very fragile at this moment. So if he does come out and say that, Hey, I made a mistake. The next thing is going to be like Klopp's mistake, Liverpool fans outraged. The pundits are going to be like, you know, maybe he thinks of it that way as well. Yeah, so I mean, I'm, I'm not sure if yeah, you're right. You're yeah, right. that's gonna happen. Mm-hmm. I don't think like uh, managers have the first of all they don't have like their egos are too big for that, and 
I think Mourinho, when he does it, he tries to send a message through that as well. Like, if he says that his players didn't perform, he wants that to be... Like, he's not a, a manager that's going to put... Like, give them a pat on the shoulder and say, we'll get him next time. He's going to be like, dude, you suck. Like, get better. Get good, kid. And try to rally them that way. So, it's the type of personality at the end of the day. Uh, but yeah, the excuses need to stop. The excuses, yeah. There's I, am, no, there's no excuses. I mean, like, this is just another one in a long chain of just rubbish excuses that... <laughs> that he says. I mean, whatever. I mean, the, the, the thing about Mourinho, yeah, I think he's he's so mature now. I think he's learned. He's he's learned from his time in Chelsea, from his time in United, and he knows now, like how to act with the press. He knows how to act with players now, and I think this is probably like the final evolution of Jose. <laughs> he is his final form. The final form, but like he's trying to cultivate he's trying really hard i think to cult i mean especially with that documentary you can see that he's trying to cultivate an environment which is both supportive and and harsh and stern and like like matter of fact but as well as an enjoyable one right he wants to like screw around with the players like get them to play cricket buy ham for the whole team like 500 pound ham for the whole team after they beat city i mean these are the kind of comical things and like being on instagram trying to troll his players etc so i think he's kind of understood that being a hard ass being this cocky guy doesn't bode well with neither the players nor the press nor yourself actually and he's trying to find that right balance yeah. and he i think he found it so i think the way that he's acting now and the results that he's getting and the way that he's coming out and saying like, "Hey, we played bad against Antwerp. Okay, we played bad against Palace. Like those, it's it's good. Like it's good to see that. And yeah, I think yeah, good good for Jose. Good for Tottenham. Good for Tottenham. Who are <laughs> I don't know. This is a very strange season. If Tottenham come out with a league title at the end of this, this is going to be." very strange yeah i mean like but, if, they do, if they do that they i can assure you that will be the first and last league title that they're going to win in a long time <laughs> As yeah well. and you know that next season Mourinho is going to uh, leave them <laughs> when they're like 15th or something oh yeah 100 percent. i think i think he will mature and then he will unravel himself <laughs> at the once he wins the title i think like he'll get poisoned like a like a disney villain and he'll just go back into his bad trip and go back into the cancer. But yeah, hopefully yeah, that doesn't happen. I, I, I really like Jose and I really respect him. And I, I want yeah. him, I wish him success. But yeah, let's uh, move on to another manager who is back in the Premier League. And who, actually there's a lot of comparisons with Ancelotti and Lampard, isn't there? You could probably do a better one. Uh, I I probably can't think of one at the moment, but yeah, we'll look into that game. Everton won Chelsea zero. And I think this is another game like where just hard work, tenacity, and the will to win ultimately gave Everton that win. They, they were on fire. <laughs> like they looked like they just wanted it way more than Chelsea did. And it's not for the lack of trying for Chelsea. They did try to muster some things up, 
but it was all snuffed out by uh, a very very organized Everton side. Oh yeah, hundred percent. I think if we're going to talk about yeah, if we're going to talk about Everton first, like you said, intensity. It was there. There was cracking back for the first time on the right hand side, thing because Hamas wasn't there. So, and also Richarlison is he was like a powerhouse. He was like a hungry dog. He was just everywhere. I if I forgot to be critical, I didn't really think his offensive performance was that great. He was pretty selfish at times. And whenever there was a pass that he could have made, he didn't really want to make it. He it felt like he really wanted a goal. He was kind of salahing it a bit. And it just seemed to me that he wanted to make this a little bit more about him when like DCL is kind of getting most of the attention. And I mean, I'm I'm not gonna take away anything from his defensive game because I thought like the way he hounded down players and like the way he supported Godfrey on that right hand side, and it was was really good. But I feel you know, offensively, I've seen him do better. Yeah, George. So like I had uh, issues I didn't quite hear most of what you said. So <laughs> I'll edit that out. Yeah. And um, yeah, what were you talking about in the end? Richarlison and how defensively he was good, but offensively he wasn't that great. Yeah, 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 yeah. And okay, let's move on from that. And then on the other flank, we had Ibobi, who was doing really good work, uh, being a nuisance to those Chelsea players. However, whenever he used to get to the byline or had to make a pass more than five yards, time and time after again. He, his final ball is just so poor. It's so, so poor. And we've, I think we spoke about this maybe in private, like uh, after the last game that I would have played. What? How, how does this even happen for a professional footballer that consistently you can't put in a cross or make a 10-yard pass? Like it's, it baffles me. Yeah. And I think it was like 40 million from Arsenal. That's a pretty hefty price tag for someone like him. I mean, I you know what I can give him? I can give him a bag of tricks. That's what he has. He he do he has that in his locker. I think he saw that against Burnley, where he he showed off some real class and in close control situations. JJ Acosta skills. Yeah. So, <laughs> but the whole passing range is pretty dismal, and I, I guess. This is, I guess, for Ancelotti, it's kind of like, well, what do I do? Do I do I pick someone who has got a wand of a left foot that whose passing range is insane and probably the best in my squad, but doesn't track back, or do I get someone who's more of like a nuisance who will track back, who will provide cover for that right hand side? Um, so yeah, I I don't know. It's I'm sure Ancelotti wishes yeah, get like a like a combination of these two skills as a player. But yeah, I I I, I, I guess that would be Richarlison on the other side. Probably, he is yeah. a perfect example of that type of player. And yeah, I think even DCL had like a really good game in terms of his defensive things. The way that that man just holds up the ball and gets people involved, it's he has to be you know like he's getting up to those levels of where we talk about like a game. He doesn't have the passing range and doesn't have nearly enough goals yet to be in that same level. 
but he's getting up there and he has to be a shoe in to make it to the euro squads and probably even get a few starts at the tournament oh the i think you know evidence tactic when they're building off in the back is kick the ball as far as you can for an area or near dcl and get him to control the ball and because he does yeah. you almost every single aerial duel it's amazing i yeah. think he, his leap is comparable to that of prime ronaldo i don't know about his yeah. heading ability but his leap right that is just insane and he's really tall and he can just win every ball and that's what pickford does he just lobs it and uh, this guy will just head it and this is this how the this is how we got the penalty he headed it to himself like that's just yeah. insane I, i haven't seen that stuff like he headed not not even like toward him he headed it away from himself and still got to the ball and won a penalty and yeah he almost got a penalty in the second half as well but it was just chopped off for offside so his like you said his abilities and the way he's growing as a player and how ancelotti is nurturing him is is frightening and if everton can keep a hold of him he will he will be a really really important player force to be reckoned with and this was something that i had actually written about when i was previewing the season the transformation of calvert lewin under ancelotti and well i would like to say first of all i'm happy to see that i was right in my prediction but i guess it was an easy prediction to have seeing how he did in last season uh, you could see that dude he has that innate confidence that confident aura around him at the moment and his all round play if he's not scoring goals like he didn't have that many chances in this game to get a goal himself but he is able to just you know get his get his boys involved and um, yeah ultimately i feel that's what allowed them to win the game obviously it came from a penalty that he won and let's talk about that penalty sigurdsson back in the side cool as you like just absolutely passes it past mendy yeah uh, ice in his veins from the ice man rinstam it was it was rinstam it was good it was it was so i was so thankful that all these eduardo mendy like better than check best goalkeeper in the premier league can't stop can't stop making clean sheets those kind of things just had to stop man i was getting on my nerves <laughs> and yeah. yeah he he not only did he give away a penalty he also was you know made to look like an embarrassment by um tigerton so yeah i mean like we we spoke about a, a lot about how good everton were we should talk about also how crappy chelsea were at times especially have yeah. this kid like i i know like he's got potential but like premier league is not like the bundesliga kid it's it's there's a lot, it's a lot more intense it's a lot more physical and i think he's feeling it's that intensity that he's feeling it's it's not yeah, but- nothing else because like he, he he looks like he's got his head up and he does some nice turns from from time to time but when he's closed down with that like when richarlison or someone is hounding you down like putting in these really strong tackles he just can't cope and i'm not saying that he can't get out of this but right now the fact is that he's not he's not living up to his price tag in my opinion he needs to he needs time and like you can see that when habits will you know get comfortable with the league which at some point you expect him to you know get comfortable with the league i'm sure he's going to do much better because Yeah I 
that's what they all say right can they cope up can they you know make the difference and transition to the league so i think it's still early for havertz werner's uh handled a little bit better because he does look suited for the premier league because of his his blistering pace werner the burner so i think uh havertz just needs a little bit more time because he is that creative type of player that likes to drift inside but i would like to say i think they miss ziyech in this game you yeah. know ziyech coming off that right side he just makes things happen and they didn't have anyone who could do that in this game or uh, mount was i don't remember if he had that many you know he wasn't he didn't even find himself in those pockets of space that he could create from and again chilwell i don't think chilwell had a a particularly good game reece james was doing most of the uh crossing and the dangerous play i would say so yeah i don't think like chelsea are going to think about this loss as much as we are at this moment i think they are a much better team than they showed uh, and we would probably see a comeback in this passive period probably probably and they also pulisic i think that they really missed him as well cuz the 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 way that he provides width to chelsea i don't think wana can do it the way that pulisic yeah. i mean yeah he wana is usually playing on the left hand side instead of down the middle uh because chelsea like to play with the target man but pulisic plays that role that lampard wants from his left winger much better than wana and yeah. we, so they really miss him and i think he's back he's back in the squad for wolves so yeah one more than anything else uh i just want to touch upon that i don't like to see one or play that wide even at his days at leipzig the when he used to create those chances when he used to come inside and receive the ball of uh, yusuf polson and you can easily do you know set them up in the in a similar sort of way with uh, Giroud or probably even Tammy holding up the ball. Both of them are decent at it. Giroud much better than Tammy because he's just been there, been there and doing that for way longer. I would like to see Werner play off Giroud and in turn Giroud play off Werner because you can expect Werner to uh, go between the lines and play in uh, Giroud for an easy finish. And that's probably something that they want to look at. I feel Werner on that left side is similar to Aubameyang. He's he's wasted in my yeah opinion. and the really so i think even you said uh, not not you said i think even vishnu has also said this that he thrives off playing off another person like you said like yeah. like you used to play off paulson the, the problem is right chelsea don't play that system they play a 433 there is no room for you to play off some they don't play with like two up top so honestly in my opinion when this team grows and they all start hitting in insane form you he might be finding himself more on the bench than he does starting because i think that let, let's say jeru's in form jeru if he is up top he will probably play polisic on that left side because like i said polisic plays that role much better and werner has to now adapt and stop trying to be this person that plays off someone but tries to 
be that target man, which is difficult because of like he doesn't have the physical attributes that Shuru or Tammy have. But it kind of feels that that's the kind of thing that Lampard wants to play. And he's the reason why Werner is getting so much time to play is because of his price tag and his potential. But honest to God, as this team progresses, I feel that Werner is not right for this team. And unless he does something about it, I don't think... Because I, I don't think the manager wants him to play any differently. Like how you said, like, play off, like, have Giroud and Werner up top. I don't think Lampard is going to do that with, like, two up top. I think it's all... I think from here on out, it's going to be, like, a 4-3-3. I think that is going to be Chelsea's best eleven formation. Yeah. I, I'm not... I, I'm sure that, you know, Lampard has better ideas than us for... 100%. Yeah, yeah. I, I was just looking out from inside and seeing Werner play, even for Germany as well. You need Warner to be like in the middle, playing on the last shoulder of the. Def- I mean, playing on the shoulder of the last defender and making those runs uh, behind, and he'll be clean through on goal because no one's catching up to him. No nobody catches up to Warner. So, and if he gets into those positions more, we know he has the finishing capabilities to score twenty-five goals a season easily. That's like minimum for a player like. Or Warner's quality. So if they can figure out a way to, you know, maybe even then try to pass in between the lines uh, a bit more with Warner as a focal point, they're going to be scoring way more goals. And Chelsea's attack in itself has always been really good. Like when they do get into the opposition half, they are a bit more fluid. So it's probably something that they should be looking into. And yeah, we'll go from there. And in terms of Everton, um, it's a good win for them. Next thing is to keep that going, I guess. Uh, but where do they go from here? They have Leicester next. And that's a difficult game. Anytime you play Leicester, they're going to be up for them. So, oh, well, that's like a really good game to watch, I would say. And Leicester as well, looking, they are also very inconsistent at the same time, don't you think? Like, they'll have these amazing performances and then the next game, they're, like, nowhere to be found. They'll maybe grind out himself and things like that. So Less of the weird team. But I have faith in Brendan Rodgers. I think he's he's also maturing as a manager. And he's also learning. And, yeah, he's got much better squad. I think, holistically, a much better squad of players than he did when he was at Liverpool. Um, He did manage... Oh, no doubt. No doubt about that. That Liverpool team that... Rogers had was just with ultimate randos, dude. They were like, who are these people? He has a lot of quality (laughs) and he has, like, his, the versatility that they have up top in Vardy being direct, sorry, Vardy like getting in behind with his pace. You have players like Harvey Barnes, again, mad pace, but a little bit more direct in how they are. And you've got like the, Oh, what is his name? Dennis Pratt, who is who kind of plays like this Cam kind of role in this number 10, but also with really good passing range, I feel. And that Roma guy whose name always slips me, who's on loan. Castan? No, that's... No. Oh, okay. the, the, what's his name? Uh, Under. There we go. Oh, the Shengi Sunder, yeah. Under. So he's also, whenever he's 
on the pitch. He's yet to start like a Premier League game, I think. But whenever he comes on as a substitute, he's always impacting. I think he has two assists already from the bench. So th- that versatility in attack is really good. And I think he's learning. I think all, all of this, it, I think last season there was like a 4 1 4 formation. Does that make sense? 4 1 4 1. Yeah. So there was that kind of formation last season. And it kind of worked. And then towards like the fag end, it stopped working. And then he had to reshuffle. He had a lot of injuries and he, he's trying to shuffle things around. And it, it's, he's learning. And that's why we see these one-off performances where they, where they just don't turn up because he might not have thought that particular game through. But I feel that over this course of this season, they are going to take a lot of points from teams, like big teams, like your Manchester Cities, your Chelsea's, your United, and they're going to be definitely a team to watch, in my opinion. Yeah, for sure, and a lot of really good individual you know, standout performances, like Telemans is like so incredibly consistent in his play, and uh, Mendy as well at CDM, which is going to be a problem for Rogers because he's been playing so well and NDD has just come back from injury. So we're going to see how they're going to deal with that because on on your day and if uh, NDD hits form, you would say that he is better than Mendy. But at the and state of things right now... As well, who is yeah. insane <laughs> okay, at right back. So they have a proper squad, with, especially when... Um, What's her center back's name? The Turkish center back? I can't, I can't. Yeah, uh, Soyanchu. Shit, man, I can't get any. Everyone's flying off the top of my head. But um, yeah, they have a quality squad on paper, uh, if you think about it. And Madison, I absolutely love Madison. Oh, what, what a beautiful goal he scored. My so. goodness. Like, he, he scores only beautiful goals. Only beautiful goals. Only bang. Yeah. So, yeah, so quality score on paper, quality manager. So I, I expect a lot. And I think Leicester fans should as well. Yeah. Uh, and speaking of expectations, I just want to finish off on talking about West Ham because at this point, we definitely have to. Uh, they beat Leeds, Vishnu's actual favorite club. So, and that too, like they were playing really well and they have been playing really well uh, throughout the season. And we know before the season started that West Ham fans had the least expectations of all 20 clubs. So I guess that's how you do it. You lower expectations and outperform. And uh, I think Rice has been... I think Rice is trying to get out of there, so he's putting in these amazing world-class performances week in, week out. Yeah, but this... If he... Let's say they make Europa League, right? Oh, they screwed that. <laughs> he might not leave. If David Moyes can inspire them to get European football this season, he might not leave. Uh, I think because there'll be a lot of pressure from the fans, the club. He'll probably get like a pay raise, etc. because he's the captain. And yeah, and his price tag will be insane. He'll, he'll be like a Jack Grealish where his price tag will then soar to like close to 100 million. And no one can afford that kind of 
money for him uh for maybe for for an english for for an english player in my opinion so uh, yeah I, i guess it it honestly depends on how their season ends like if they if they finish like mid table 9th or 10th at the end of this then yeah he'd probably leave but if they do really well and if he's putting in quality performances like this he's just If he wants to leave, then this is the wrong. This is the bad way to do it, in my opinion. This is a bad way. No, but I think like ninth or tenth for West Ham at this point. Okay, they're overachieving at this point. Like I. Oh, hundred percent. Yeah. In, in terms of from a club point of view, yeah. yeah. I, from a from a Declan Rice point of view, yeah. 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 So like ninth or tenth is like very realistic. And if you ask West Ham like before the season, like would you take ninth or tenth? They're gonna grab it. Then. Uh, both hands and uh, oh, thank you very 100%. much. 100%. Let me ask you a question. And uh, Leeds lost this game, obviously. Bielsa was nominated for Manager of the Year. <laughs> so, uh, me myself, I'm pretty confused about that. Uh, okay, yes, he has a very particular brand of football. The players do always talk about how intense his training sessions are, and we see that intensity translate into performances on the pitch. However, Do you think that a manager that's come up from, uh, you know, league football should be nominated for such a prize like that? Do you uh, think that's well warranted? It we haven't seen this happen uh, previously. So what makes uh, Bielsa different? Is it hype? Yeah, as in. <laughs> I guess so. That Bielsa is back in the the Bielsa being back in the Premier League. I mean, coming to the Premier League, uh, that was like one of the huge stories. Not only about Leeds coming back to the Premier League after so many years. I think that's a bigger story than uh, that it's being set out to be. But like a lot of that praise is given to Bielsa, rightfully so. However, this is Manager of the Year. Yeah. So I I don't know. I think that I think there's a lot of. political aspects to this that we just don't understand and right yeah there's hype to it and is he is he a good manager yes but does he deserve to be nominated probably not i i i don't know um but then if you think about it would you nominate who i think this is for the fifa best manager of the year award right yeah and it's hansi flick jurgen klopp and Bielsa. Bielsa. Right. Uh, who else would you go nominate in his, in his place? Well, to be fair, that is a good point. But there are other guys, right? Like hasn't. Uh, like, what what, would you say? Would you say Zidane had a good season? I don't think so. Let me no. Think. I would say that uh, the job that Eric Ten Hag is doing at Ajax over the last so many years for him to be warranted to be at least. Nominated at this point, like okay, the league isn't as competitive as uh, we would like to be, but the, the brand of football that Ajax plays, and they just have a constant crop of these individuals, these youngsters who come out into that team who turn out to be world beaters, and uh, the identity of that team at this moment, I think he's doing a really good job on a very, very, very consistent basis. That's so, true. That's true. I mean, if you're giving, yeah. I mean, like I would say, like uh, Norwich last season, didn't they win the league? And that guy used to play some really good football, like the Norwich team that came up last season. Yeah. 
<laughs> I mean, he did screw it up in the end of it, but like he did, he was playing a very attractive brand of football with exciting players like Campbell and uh, Buendia and Toki. And uh, if you had, if you had said, okay, this guy's brought them up, should he be nominated? People would laugh at you. Yeah. For me, my nomination would probably go to Chris Wilder because I think Sheffield were really, really good last season. Exactly. And someone like uh, Nuno as well at Wolves. Okay, they're 13th this season. But like he's been consistently destroying big teams since their time back in the Premier League. And they have set up such an interesting club. Like, not just the team. Like, the club in itself, with that whole Portugal FC whole thing going on at the same time. Like, that's what a manager does, right? Yeah. So... And I think that Nuno should, he, he gets a lot of credit for sure. But uh, this this didn't, I, I couldn't wrap my head around uh, Bielsa being nominated. That's probably just me. I don't find it too impressive. Uh, I don't, I, I guess like Leeds play in itself, uh, saying this, they're probably going to beat us next week. But, uh, you know, just, what they're doing on the pitch, okay, it's nice to watch. It's very entertaining, but they're not getting those results that uh, people actually think they are. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. In the sense that, okay, leads are dangerous, but they're not getting them results. And unfortunately for them, football is a res- result-based game, right? So, yeah. It's a tricky one, that. <laughs> it's a tricky one. Well, a <laughs> lot of... Uh, well, the best part is, George, we're in the festive period now. For the fans, it's it's one of the best times. So we have we have games today and tomorrow, day after. <laughs> and then we move on to the Christmas time. That's usually when uh, like a lot of chopping and changing happens to the league. And it sets it up for the second half of the season where those positions become cemented. So... I'm excited to be going into this and, you know, for a fact that we're going to be covering a lot uh, in upcoming podcasts as well. Definitely, definitely. Anyways. And on that note, on that note, we'll call it for this one, what you say? Cool. Thanks for having me. Thanks for joining us again for another episode of the Off the Line podcast brought to you by Your Football Journal. Be sure to like, comment, subscribe. Share with your friends. It does help us out quite a bit. And we will catch you on another episode next week. Peace out.